Welcome to Conversations with Buddy. This week, we decided to explore video podcasting, so if you'd like to watch instead of just listen this week, feel free to check the show notes for a link to the YouTube version of this episode. Good morning, and welcome to Conversations with Buddy. Coming to you live from the Rec Podcast Studio in Kaiser, Oregon. I've got a great guest this morning. I can't wait to introduce her. By the way, we do these podcasts every Friday morning, and we drop those, and we we're hoping that the story or stories of these people impact somebody, and we hope that somebody is you. So today, I want to welcome my guest, Marjorie Dudley. Good morning. Morning. How Hi. Are you, how are you? I'm awesome. You're I'm awesome. excited. Well, tell me why you're excited and why why are you awesome? I want to hear. Well, I uh, I think the world of you, so that's one reason I'm excited. Thank you. I'm excited because I'm here in Florida and you are there in Kaiser, Oregon, and we found a way, or really you and Camden found a way to make this work. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm just excited to be here, and I'm a little uh, excited in anticipation of what sort of questions you're going to ask Ooh. me. They're going to be good ones, too, by the way. It's going to be fun. Obviously. Well, I'm excited, and... Uh, I know that you are actually from, well, actually, we're going to get into that in a moment. So I'm going to introduce you a little bit, tell a little bit of a story about you, and then we're going to go into each area and just talk about those to learn more about you and your story. And uh, we, have, we have a lot to cover, so it should be fun. Okay. All right. So here's what I know about you so far. You're a wife. And by the way, how long have you guys been married? We just celebrated 14 years in October. Tell me your husband's name. Jason. Jason. So 14 years that you guys have been married. And we'll, we'll dig into that because I want to know, and this part of your story is we'll get to know when you guys met, how you guys got married. Um, I love this. You're a karate dance mom to York and Averly. Yep. We'll talk about those ages here in a moment. You mentioned that you're you're an intro, introverted only child, but then your dad got remarried and become an extroverted child of four or five siblings total, right? Uh, four. I oh. was the youngest of four. You're the youngest of four. You are a hobby baker. I don't know that uh -huh. term, but I think that sounds good because I love to bake as well. And I'll be yeah. interested to hear what your favorite thing to, to bake is. You are a fellow believer. I think you grew up Catholic. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And still am. Yep. Still am. Cool. And then Lastly, that I know about you is you're a coach. You work for Southwest, Southwestern Consulting. You've been coaching for around six years. So that might be the yeah. last thing we talk about. So let's just dive in real quick and just talk about um, maybe where you grew up. And I know you moved to Salem. You lived in Salem for a while. Yeah. And now you're in Florida. But So where did you grow up? What was life like where you grew up? And uh, how did you migrate to Salem and then to Florida? Oh, that's a pretty cool story, actually. So okay. I grew up about 40 minutes north of Detroit, Michigan, and uh, very like suburbia, typical kind of Midwest. <laughs> nothing, nothing too special. It's just a pretty average upbringing. I went to college on the west side of the state, aptly named Western Michigan University. And in the middle of my freshman year, I saw a post like a sign, like an eight by 11 printed sign on the elevator door that said, Our, uh, student internships, average student makes $8,000 in the summer. 
Wow. Now, mind you, this is 2000. No, it's 1998. Seems like a lot of money. So, yeah, for a kid now, eight grand is, is still pretty good money. Yeah. So 1998, 8,000 in a summer was an insane amount of money. And I was like, I like money. Uh, let's. And I, and I grew up, my dad would pay me to shine his shoes. I got paid to clean my, uh, my parents' house. Like I was always looking for, I had a job right at 14 at McDonald's, um, a furniture store. I worked for uh, uh, a Buick and Volkswagen dealership. Like I always, always, always was doing things to earn money. So when I saw $8,000 in a summer, I was like, let's go. Heck, I'm in. So I went to the end yeah. for, yeah, right? And uh, it is actually kind of to jump ahead in the story because you, you touched on this. Uh, it was an internship with Southwestern Company. So I'm now a Southwestern Consulting. So you'll see the tie in there. Wow. Okay. Um, I can't wait. So I went to... Yeah, I went to the informational interview and they said, hey, this isn't for everybody. Uh, it's really hard. We're going to teach you how to run a retail educational business, knocking on people's doors and selling, this time books, like CDs were just, they caught like CD-ROM, okay, this is dating me, but CD-ROM was not super popular. So we were knocking on people's doors selling books, not quite encyclopedias. Um, in fact, actually, if see that right there, yep. I sold those. Okay. So I found a vintage copy on Facebook Marketplace and had to get them. So I said, okay, let's do this. I told my mom she was super supportive. Uh, several years later, when I asked why she was super supportive, she said, uh, well, you weren't really ever a finisher. Ouch. Like I wouldn't finish what I would start. She said, I knew if anyone was going to help you finish, it was going to be these people. So I was like, whoa, um, I found that out years later. But when I told my dad, the conversation went, hey, dad, I'm going to sell books door to door. And he's like, where? And part of it is you don't know where you're going until like right before you leave. So I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, where are you going to live? And you live with host families. And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, what guarantee do you have that you'll make any money? And I was like, there is none. Sweet. So it was, yeah. So my dad, you know, protective dad or daughter and I'm his only daughter so even though when he got remarried there was three three others but um he actually was like no you're not and I was like yes I am and we that happened a few times and then he actually hung up on me wow so um I went and sold books that summer in Salt Lake City Utah we did in fact knock on doors and find a host family believe it or not and it was an amazing experience, and I think I made about $12,500 that summer. No kidding. I won a trip to Mexico. They call it the Sizzler trip, and I was hooked. Uh, I did think it was going to be easy thereafter. It was actually harder, but I ended up selling three more summers with the Southwestern Company and knocking on doors and crying a lot and selling some books and getting in good shape and eating a lot of Oreo sandwiches and doing all the things that, uh, you know, are wild. So while my friends are partying in the summer, I was sweating it up, getting mosquito bites and going around neighborhoods, what, what, slinging books. Just, just real quick, what caused you to be so motivated? I mean, that's interesting. Was it that your dad started you out early on, made, you know, paying you to shiny shoes or clean the house, or whatever? Is that what motivated you or are you just wired that way? Uh, I do think I liked the semi-instant gratification. Like you do something, 
and then you get paid for it. So there wasn't a long, like long tail delayed gratification. There was a little bit like you have to do it first. But I did like seeing that, like, you know, kind of Pavlov's dog or like the mouse with the cookie, right? I just like, if I do this, then I get money. And then I always had a little bit of a, you know, back then kids went to the mall. I know kids don't really go to the mall now, but, you know, then you have some spending money to go to the mall. I always babysat. So I was always uh, spending money probably as quick as I was earning it. Uh, And so I had to refill (laughs) refill the piggy bank, so to speak. That's awesome. Okay. So how did you get from Michigan to Oregon? So that's probably the, the next gap in your life yeah. that we can talk about. Well, that's the bridge, that's right? The bridge. Because I sold books. My my first summer was Salt Lake City, Utah. My second summer, I went to Tri-Cities, Washington. Uh, and when I was in Tri-Cities, I had a friend who was selling in the Lake Oswego, Portland area. Okay. So at the end of the summer... I went over to Portland and we like bummed around Portland for a week. So as a 20-year-old kid, it was awesome, maybe 21. Um, Because if I recall, this actually even ties into meeting Jason, my husband too. But we went to this bar in Portland and played like golden tea at, you know, 11 in the morning and doing the things that 21-year-old kids do when they just made a lot of money and don't really have anything else to do. So um, I had... I had really liked the Portland area. And I also happen to have a, an aunt and uncle who are still in Vancouver. So I was a little bit familiar with the area. Sold two more summers, uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and Raleigh, North Carolina. Graduated with a graphic design degree and was thinking about, like, what are some cool cities where you could actually find a graphic design job? So um, I, I actually initially picked Seattle and couldn't find a job and found a sales job because of my door-to-door background sales managers were kind of chomping at the bit to to hire me on a sales job in Portland and was looking for that golden tea bar that I had been to three-ish years prior. And so I was working for a payroll company in the Portland market, but my territory was Salem. So I lived in actually Vancouver and the office was in Tigard kind of right at that 217.99 I-75 triangle. And then my territory was in in Salem. And there was a gal there. And she's like, hey, we're all going out to the Gypsy. I don't know if you ever heard of the Gypsy in Portland. But it's gone now. It's a parking lot now because apparently there's more money in parking lots in Portland. But um, I was like, yeah. I mean, I I didn't really have any friends. I just moved here. And so I was like, I'll go with you guys. And I walked in. You are an extrovert, by the way. You you said you're an introvert. I don't see it. So... Keep going. Well, this... an introvert is how you recharge. Okay, fair. That, that is true. Yeah. So I do recharge in solitude and yeah. Okay, so, but I do, it. you're easy to talk to. So that's the, that's the easy part. Okay. Got it. So I went to this bar, I walked in and I had like, Eureka. It was literally the golden tea bar from three years back. And Jason, my now husband, was our bartender. No way. Yeah. So, we uh, proceeded to have a lot of fun, and as I was walking out, Jason said, well, what are you ladies doing tonight? And I was like, I don't know, and I wrote my number on a cocktail napkin. Again, this is so old. Like, we were not carrying cell phones in our pocket. That's funny. This is 18 years ago. Yeah. So um, slid my cocktail napkin across the, the bar, and he actually called me. Wow. 
and then we've we've talked almost every day since then. So that's so cool. Uh, I got out to the Portland area for thinking I was looking for a graphic design job and finding a sales job, and then I never left sales. I kind of said adios to graphic design, and here we are. Yeah. Well, there's probably more money in sales than graphic design. I'm, I'm guessing as long as you're motivated, excited, and you love people. I mean, you obviously love people. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah. Most of them. <laughs> Most of them. Yeah, we can all see that. Well, this is cool. So you met Jason. That's awesome. Okay, so then you, your territory is Salem, which is mm-hmm. kind of where uh, our connection is, I guess, really. Mm-hmm. But uh, so then you moved to Salem. Do you guys, do you and Jason get married right away? I was commuting. No, no, no. So I was commuting from Portland, from t- Vancouver initially to Salem every single day. And it was about a 90-minute commute because, you know, you're trying to get down there in the morning. We yeah. all know what that traffic's yeah. like or if you're in the area, you know. Um, I had a really cool sales manager at the time. He's like, we got to help you at least get on the other side of, of of the city. So I got to Tiger, yeah. and that commute wasn't actually that bad, especially back then. Traffic has grown tremendously in the last decade, two decades. But yeah. um, So I moved to, tar- uh, to Tiger. Jason, actually, one month into us dating, Jason drops a little bob on me and he says, uh, hey, I'm going to move to Phoenix, Arizona. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, we just started dating. And he's like, no, I got to do it. I got to do it. And he really, he did have to do it for his reasons. And so I just remember being like really nonchalant about, I was just like, okay, we'll figure it out. So he and I actually dated long distance for nine months. And I actually attribute that to a lot of our success in marriage because you know, dating long distance, they 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 say it never works, but I think the reason it never works is because it actually brings to the surface all of the flaws and pitfalls. Right. Like you have to talk. You can't just like perpetually be going out on dates and, you know, watching movies and doing right. whatever. You actually like the only way you can have a, an, a relationship is by talking to the person. So we did a lot of talking um, for hours and hours and multiple times a day for nine months. And mm. uh, I just knew he was my person. I, I I wouldn't have said it at the time quite like that. But a funny story, I dated a guy right before and I could always see my wedding photo. And there was always like a, you know how when you're watching a show and they can't show the person, they like yeah. blur out the face. Yeah. So there was always a blurred out face in the groom photo. And the second I met Jason, his face fit in the groom photo. Uh, that's and cool, I, cool. I didn't. It was actually in hindsight that I realized all that, but uh, we just we dated long distance. Yeah. I I I uh, masterminded a plan to get him to move back to Portland, which he did, and then uh, we dated another three years before getting engaged. Yeah, or getting married, I guess maybe yeah. another two years before getting engaged, and yeah. three years before getting married. Right. Very cool. So you guys get married. You guys stay in the Portland area then at that point in time? So that's when we, before we were married, I bought a little house in Lafayette, Oregon. Before Lafayette was, and and date, uh, Dundee and all that was yeah. this amazing wine country. Yep. Uh, they were just cheap houses. My first house was 170,000, 1,200 square foot on this beautiful corner lot. Like right, I wish I'd held on to it. That's like one of my very few regrets. Dang it, that's like, it, I, I looked it up on Zillow or so I know Zillow is not the biggest truth teller, but yeah. it was like 300,000 now. And I was, oh, what did I do? Yeah. But um, bought a little house in Lafayette and then 
uh, I can't remember if it was right before or right after, but then we bought a house in West Salem. Yeah. Uh, and, and we, I really liked, I was kind of jealous of everybody cause I did a lot of work in Salem. That was my territory and I was jealous. I was involved in the chamber of commerce and all that. And I was a little bit jealous of all the people that lived in Salem and worked in Salem. And here I was commuting back to Lafayette yeah. every day. So, um, we bought in West Salem and then, uh, ended up moving to East Salem, which was Jason's childhood home. And so we spent nine so, years so Jason, living at a five acre. Jason grew up in Salem. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's an interesting part of the story. So, okay. This makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So he was commuting. He was living at that house. His, his, his mom had passed away. So his dad was living alone. So Jason actually moved back in with his dad and was commuting up to Portland to the gypsy to work while I was working in uh, or my office was in Portland, but I was commuting down to Salem to work. Right. So we were kind of doing all this this Backwards, path. Yeah. We ran the math too. We we kind of worked the numbers. We actually think he might have been the bartender the day that I visited the bar three or four years prior because oh, that was his shift. That's funny. So that was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but we he we ended up moving into his childhood home, and it was a beautiful five acre piece of property right like 10 minutes east of that costco on 22 yep. and which, uh, which doesn't you know, exist anymore by the way well we sold it so it exists yeah. for somebody but well, i'm, I'm you saying can't that, get too many more of those i'm saying the costco doesn't exist there it moved oh the costco doesn't exist yeah, i had no it, idea it, it moved out south off of kubler that's yeah, gotta yeah, it's be fun. Twi- it's probably twice as big anyway little side story really there, yeah yeah so i didn't know that that happened yeah. after we left yeah so we've been gone about 18 months now, but we, um, we, we had this great property. They custom built the house. It had a beautiful view of the sunset. We, our neighbor had a big pond. We had cows, we had chickens. Wow. Uh, it was a great nine years. We lived there until, uh, so what's Averly now? She's 12. So we lived there until she was nine and a half, 10. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, York was born in that house and it was it was a great property for nine years we really love it and yeah. it holds a special place in our heart that's cool I, I, a couple things i didn't know you guys were farmers i mean you guys have chickens and cows and stuff so that's cool uh let's talk real quick i know you moved to florida but you know you have two kids uh averly and york um averly as you said she's 12 she's in seventh grade mm-hmm. york is he's five five yeah, yeah. And there's a story behind this. So walk us through the story. And then, then what I want to hear is kind of your migration to Florida. And what would make someone move to Florida? This is interesting. This is completely yeah. across the country. So it's a big deal. Completely. I want, I want to hear almost, all about almost that. Almost diagonally. So I found out I was pregnant with York in 16, 2016. And when I was about 13 weeks pregnant, I was feeling really tired and my leg was hurting uh, and I went to get a massage. There's a, there's a great lady uh, who does massage in the area. And I was just telling her that and she's like, I don't want to scare you, but that sounds like a blood clot. Oh, no, no way. I woke up the next morning. Now, mind you, this had been progressing. I'd been noticing it, but I just thought any woman has been pregnant. You're like, hey, that, that sounds pretty normal. Um, and I had a fairly rough pregnancy with a really too lot of nausea and all that fun stuff. Um, but I woke up the next morning and in our master suite, the 
my side of the bed to the bathroom was probably 30 feet at most. And I was in excruciating pain in tears just walking that far. Wow. And Jason said, you need to, you need to go to the doctor. So my father-in-law actually took me. They ultrasounded my leg. And I had a blood clot from my knee to my uterus. I didn't know it was that big at the time because they didn't, they don't really tell you. Doctors are funny. Anybody's had a lot of medical stuff, they kind of keep you in the dark. Yeah. Um, so I had to go to the hospital, make sure they did a scan to make sure it was in my lungs and going to cause like a pulmonary embolism. Um, so they're like, you're not pregnant, are you? And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. And so then I had to sign away, like, we're going to radiate you. And, um, the suspicion now, so York was, like I said, 13 weeks. Um, at 20 weeks, we went for the the gender ultrasound, and it was taking forever. Yeah. And Jason was with me, and the second the ultrasound tech left, I looked at him and I said, something's wrong. And he's like, no, it's fine. And I'm like, something's wrong. So the doctor comes in, and she goes, how far along are you? And I said, 20 weeks. And she had said, um, are you sure? And I was sure, because I actually went to... Um, a beautiful organization in Salem. I don't know if you're familiar with Hope Pregnancy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hope Re- uh, Pregnancy Resource Clinic. Yeah. Love them. They are, I mean, they are angels walking on earth, I yes. swear. Um, but doctors a lot of times don't want to see you until you're at least 12 weeks. And and so um, I went to them to confirm that I was, in fact, pregnant. And fun fact, the earlier the ultrasound, the more accurate it is. Hmm. So I knew absolutely that I was, at that time, seven weeks, that the blood clot was 13 weeks. And that I was now, in fact, 20 weeks. And I said, are you sure? I said, why? What does it look like? And they said, you looks like you're 17 weeks. His size is 17 weeks. Gotcha. Okay, what does that mean? And they're like, I said, it's not good, is it? She's like, it's not good. So um, they wanted to see me every two weeks. And basically every two weeks that I would come in, he would only grow one week. Really? And Jason uh, was with me on every single appointment, but he had to miss one. Oh, I'm going to get choked up. So the one appointment he missed, York didn't grow at all. And I looked at the doctor and I said, what does that mean? He said, he's probably going to be a stillbirth. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember going into the bathroom and like sliding down the wall and just crying. Yeah. So uh, we prayed a lot. We had a really great blog at the time called Prayers for Shrimpy that people were following all over the country. And I actually made friends in the area. Um. I don't know if you know Shauna, Shauna Young in the area. She's actually a realtor in the area. I do. We became really close friends because she was praying for us long before, yeah. uh, long before we ever actually met. Um, but I tell you, York was a little, little trooper and slow but mighty. He, we went to the next uh, ultrasound, and I was actually, I was irritated that they were even doing a formal ultrasound because I'm like, he's gone. And then she goes, and there's this heartbeat. And I was like, what? Like, I was fully expecting, you know, we were told in the last appointment and all this, there's this heartbeat. And I was like, what? So a lot of tears, a lot of praying, a lot of updating family, a lot of pouring my heart out on this blog. Because, you know, sometimes it's easier to to write things than to say them. And um, he just kept plugging along. And our, our doctor in Salem, shortly thereafter, said, you need to go up to Portland. We cannot handle you. Um, So I started seeing OHSU, and OHSU said, we need you to have a backpack because we may not let you come home at some point. And I didn't believe them (laughs) because I felt like if I succumbed to giving a packing a bag, I'm like, 
willing him to come early. So I would I refused to pack a bag. And uh, it was Averly's birthday, so February 15th of 2017. And I had an appointment in Portland. They were always on Wednesdays. And they said, you cannot go home. Hmm. And I said, you don't understand. It's my daughter's seventh birthday. I have to go home. Yeah. They're like, we cannot let you go home. And I said, well, what if I go against medical advice? And they're like, well, technically you can do that, but here's all the reasons you should not do that. So again, I cried some more and I yelled and the doctor was wonderful. He's like, you can yell at me. Here's some tissue. I'll take it. Um, but they kept me there and I was under constant watering and York was still still kicking. And Averly at this point um, was so excited. Like yeah. a little backstory, she had prayed and prayed and prayed mm. for a sibling. And, uh, and that did not happen. She was seven years old. That did not happen for many years. And I would just always tell her, just pray. I'm not the one you need to ask. You need to ask God. Amen. And so she uh, prayed. And so there was really this rough time that I remember texting a really good girlfriend of mine. Uh, I feel like we got a take back baby. Wow. That was literally the text I sent her. And she was like, a take back baby. And she, you know, sends me the crying emoji. And I'm flipping through TV. And, you know, we lived out in the country, so we didn't always get all the stations. Yeah. And there was this random preacher on some random channel that we never get. And uh, he was giving a sermon on, I believe it's Romans, Romans 8, 9 or something like that. But God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Hmm. And I was flipping so fast. I passed it, but I heard it. And I went back and I was like, did you just give me that message? Like your gifts are irrevocable. You gave us this gift. And I had this intense peace that this gift was not being taken back. Hmm. So we get to the hospital on Averly's birthday. They don't let me go home. Send the in-laws and my mom and everybody to go celebrate with her and do my best to, to talk with her. And she's sad and I get it. And we're just praying for more time. At this week, I'm 28 weeks pregnant, yeah. which is not a great time to have a baby. It's not especially one that is actually only measuring about 20 weeks in size. Oh. So they're saying to me things like, um, you know, they're saying things like, well, we, we may not have tubing small enough to give him the IVs that he needs. Mm. So it's not, so, so one of the things he had going for him is because his age, your lungs develop based on your age. Yeah. Your gut and GI health and all those things develop on your size. So his gut was in bad shape. His lungs were actually proving to be a little bit better. I was able to get a steroid shot to help him out. And just one day shy of being 29 weeks pregnant, I was waking up in the hospital bed and I was about to put a bite of food in my mouth. Actually, I did get one bite of food in my mouth. I didn't even chew yet. And the doctor says, we're prepping you to deliver today. He needs to come out. 29 weeks and the size of a 21 week year old or 20 week, one week. And so, um, I had had that blood clot. So I was on blood thinners. Yeah. So they actually needed to wait 12 hours to do the surgery. So they finally get me into a C-section. So it's an emergency section, but not a, not an, or it's an urgent, but not an emergency yeah. C-section. Jason's with me. My mom was there. My in-laws were nearby. So like all the, all the family was close. Um, 
They do the C-section. I have a problem with anesthesia and it wears off me really quickly. So I expressed that concern. And by the end of the C-section, I was feeling what they were doing. And it was taking extra time because I was bleeding and bleeding and bleeding a lot from all the blood thinners. Um, they whisk York away and I don't even know if he's alive. I have wow. no idea if I just delivered, you know, excuse my crassness, but a dead baby. And and that's how it felt, you know, that that raw and that like, what is it? So um, Jason comes back in and I'm like, well, what? Like nobody told me. Nobody goes like, hey, your baby's alive. Um, Jason and I actually looked at Jason and had to ask him, like, is he, you know, so they got a picture. He was there. It was very touch and go for um, his first few weeks in the NICU. He wasn't tolerating foods. He got a thing called necrotizing enterocolitis, which we now know is actually um, either caused or or increased by the formula fortifiers that they give you in the NICU. Um, so that's a whole other story. But necrotizing enterocolitis can be very fail, uh, fatal or lose these balls, obstructions. Um, he had a problem keeping his oxygen saturation. And basically, he was in there for three and a half months. So in that time, I was still doing what I'm doing now, but I took a, a way step back. I would work eight to noon. I would drive up to OHSU. I would spend noon to five with York, which if you ever have had a baby, which I know you have two, right? Two, yep. Babies need ba- babies need to be held more than five hours a day. Right. So he actually... Um, exhibited a lot of like emotional challenges because he was a baby in the NICU, basically not being held. Um, so we finally get him home at three and a half months and I have to fight to get him home. And, and cause he's still not taking um, bottle feeds uh, fully. So I have to say, um, I, I remember just feeling like emotionally, this is not sustainable for him to, to be ignored 19 hours a day. Not that the nurses were ignoring him, but they're not there to hold babies. They're there to like, keep babies alive. So 19 hours a day, he's not held. He's crying constantly. It's taking a toll on his weight gain. It's taking a toll on his emotional health. Um, So I fight to get him home. I'm like, we need to get him home, whether he's on a tube feed or not. And so we get him home on his tube feed and they teach me. They teach me how to do, like he had a tube go up his nose and into his stomach. And again, we were still fortifying with formula. We didn't know that that was bad for him. So he was also vomiting around the clock. So while I have Averly at home, even though York's not getting enough of my time, Averly's not getting enough of my time because I'm getting home at dinner time. She's a seven-year-old kid. She's got about a 7.30 be- uh, bedtime. Yeah. So I'm seeing Averly for one hour a day and she's having a hard time emotionally because mom's gone. So it was very tough times, but with Averly, um, man, she just grew into this big sister yeah. role. And when her brother came home, I mean, the two were... Uh, it, random strangers will say things like, I could just see the love that they have for each other. That's sweet. That you, people just see it. She just, there, there is just a, truly a kindred spirit. Now he's a little bit at the AG bugs there sometimes, but oh man, they're, siblings, they're, yeah. But they love their each love other. is just incredible. Yep. So we fought to get him home. Um, the formula was causing reflux. The reflux was causing vomiting. The vomiting was creating aspiration. So then he actually had to be on inhaled oxygen. 24-7. So we had him uh, 22 hours a day tube fed and 24-7 oxygen. So we would pack oxygen tanks and we would pack his feeding backpack and we would go to mass at Queen of Peace in Salem and yep. we'd be carrying the tank behind us and we'd be, and you know, like the whole church kind of knew who we were yeah. and um, went to, you know, 
healing services, healing masses, anointing of sick, and all these things that were are really a big part of our faith. And he just kept plugging away, plugging away. We were told one more story. We were told I was outside of Averly's dance class in downtown Salem, and I got a call from his cardiologist. And his cardiologist says he has pulmonary vein stenosis. Hmm. So that's the thing that the old people seem to get yeah. and tends to kill them, unfortunately. They have to do angioplasties. They insert a balloon. They stretch it. Um, and I said, okay, what does that mean? And he says, not good. Hmm. So once again, I got another not good. Um, so like, there's not really a cause for it. There's not really a cure for it. There's not really anything they can do. If they stretch the veins too many times, they, they callus over and you can't do anything about it. You can't do transplants. You can't, not really great drugs for it. So Jason went into research mode. We found a hospital in Boston that was kind of going to be our backup. Like we were looking to move to Boston, yeah. to Boston if we had to. Um, and then my prayer was always that one day York would go to a cardiology appointment. He still sees a cardiologist. And they would say, we have no sign of pulmonary vein stenosis. And we actually just got that appointment about six months ago. No kidding. Yep. So that was my very specific prayer is that there would be no sign of pulmonary vein stenosis. So we got a new cardiologist here in Florida, which yeah, I know you want yeah. to know how we got here. Yeah. Um, and so we got a referral from a previous cardiologist who, again, was a saint, Dr. Kelly at OHSU. You love him to pieces. And we, we got referred here. Another small weird tie-in. So I told you I worked for a payroll company. Yeah. Um, that gentleman, Tom Golisano, who founded Paychex, is actually the financial patron of the children's hospital that we now go to here. No way. Isn't that wild? So, so that's what took you guys to Florida. That's why you guys packed up and moved to Florida. But it's actually not. Oh, no. Okay. That that's a weird I mean, coincidence, but yeah. I think as believers it's more than a coincidence. It's a it's a bit of truly divine in, in uh in intervention. Um we moved to Florida, so you might have heard of a little thing that happened in 2020. A little thing called COVID, thing, maybe. Kind of, yeah. One of those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Something like that. So Averly was finishing up her fourth grade year. Um Queen of Peace, amazing school. Yeah, yeah. The school ended about April that year. And she went home for the year. And in my wildest dreams, I never thought that they wouldn't start back up yeah. school again. And, you know, I don't know if you want to go, you know, I, I did not personally want my child in a mask eight hours a day at school. Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, and, and I uh, just... It was, we were between a rock and a hard place. I think everybody was. Yes. Um, so when the, the school year started up again and there was the plexiglass dividers and there was the masks and there was the, I was like, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that for a year. So yeah. we did the Zoom school, but unfortunately the Zoom option through the school system was one hour a day, four days a week. Wow. So I really was at home with me while I worked from home. One, uh, and, and she would have school for one hour. One hour a day, four days a week, and the learning just disintegrated. Yeah. The social impacts were massive. My happy-go-lucky, chipper, like friend-making girl was a mess. She was a puddle mostly. She was frustrated. She just mm. like at, academically, emotionally, everything. And so we went through a whole another year of that. And it was about November of twenty-one. And my husband and I were on the same page. We said, enough. There are states that are open. There are states that are 
kids are in school, there are states where um, they'll let it be the parent's choice yeah. of what's truly in the best interest of the child. Um, let's go there. And so we looked at Idaho. Um, Idaho, surprisingly, was not as open as it mm, seemed, at least yeah. not Boise area. Yeah. Um, but Florida was. And so we picked Florida on a dime. We bought our house, brand new construction site unseen, and just said, that one, let's go. Um, Love it. And we, yeah. So that was it. That was the reason. It was honestly in the best interest of our children. And yeah. and no looking back. Like she, her school's great. Um, we came here and there's just a totally different vibe than like on, on all the stuff than than Oregon and it just more aligns with our values and, yeah. and the health of our, yeah. our children. That's a great story. Well, hey, uh, we're going to wrap up here in just a moment, but what I what I think I recognize from you, I bet your faith grew a lot during the time of York being born and seeing your little girl pray and you pray and your friends and family pray and that God yep. does answer prayer. He does it in his own way. Sometimes it's not always what we do pray, but God is real, and and uh, I, I bet your faith grew a lot during that time. It would be tremendously just a guess. And we had to pray a lot for God's will to be done, not just what we wanted. Of course, yeah. we wanted York to survive and thrive, but it, it, every prayer had to be around your will be done. So that was that was huge for us yeah, as a family. Yeah, letting go and letting God do His thing, which he, He's the best one to do whatever He's going to do. He's going to do what He's going to do anyway. So yeah, good. Well, let's wrap up on a really fun note. Uh, that yeah. was really heavy, by the way, and and people need to hear that story. A lot of people have gone through the same story, you know, and they haven't really expressed it. So thanks for sharing that. Let's wrap up on a fun note. You've been a coach yeah. for six years at Southwestern Consulting. And uh, I just want to wrap up on, you know, what do you do? What do you love about it? What's your, what's your future look like with Southwestern Consulting? So, you know, you heard my story selling books door to door. This yes. is now a sister company of that that company. We were we were we the collective organization had been asked time and time again to teach the sales training tools and tactics and techniques and mindset and all that to to corporate entities because of what these book kids were learning. And so the the, the amazing idea was born to have actually our own coaching division. And so I joined six years ago and it really felt like a, a coming back home because our company culture is is really one of collaboration and supporting one another. And uh, you know, you 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 do reap what you sow and and personal yeah. development and personal transformation from the inside out. Um, so I get to be a sales and business and leadership coach. Wow. Uh, meaning that the the bulk of my job is helping people achieve their goals, their business goals, their financial goals their family goals. Um, and and we we have a what we call a practitioner model. So we do coach a lot of salespeople and sales leaders and business owners. And so as coaches, our aim is to also practice the, the principles and the and the habits and the things that we're working on with our clients. So I uh, sell coaching and I I deliver trainings and I am a speaker and I do make phone calls and I do prospect a lot of my own uh, clients and potential clients. I do recruit and I do hire people. And, um, it, and so, uh, I, the, the biggest payback for me and, and why I got into coaching several years ago when I did was for me that there was nothing greater than that feeling that in some way or another, someone said, you know, my, my life has changed in part because of something you've helped me do. 
Hmm. They're doing it. I'm not doing it. Uh, it's all them. But the fact that um, I've seen people, you know, I've seen people double their income. I've seen people get massive promotions. I've seen people um, have better relationships with their kids and their spouses. And all because they have an outlet, someone to hold them accountable, someone to challenge them, someone to um, see them through the, the tough parts of their life and their business and, and say, okay, like, how do we, how do we figure it out? How do we move you forward? So I have some clients. Um, I have a couple clients that are on 150 calls with me or 160 calls. So um, it's around, I don't know, six, six years from when I started. Um, and I, I love the impact piece. I just feel like in some small way, I'm giving back to the world. Yeah. Well, I know. Uh, so here's my affiliation with you guys is you guys coached our branch and we did a workshop and it was really cool. Uh, I learned a lot from Amy Donaldson, a uh, great coach. Yeah. She wrote a book also, which was cool. And then she introduced me to you and apparently you and I should have known each other in our when you actually lived in Salem, but I don't think I ever met you. Yeah. But uh, actually going through a process of, of deciding I want to go work for Southwestern myself, I have talked with you for a lot, uh, a lot here in the last uh, couple months, and you've coached me, which is interesting. And there's one thing you told me that was really interesting was, because I'm in the mortgage industry, and so we grind a lot, we make a lot of calls, and we work hard, and blah, 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 right? We all do the same thing. But you can do all the wrong, do all the things and do it wrong, or you can you can just do wrong things and get no uh, momentum. But the thing about you is what you said to me was, buddy, there's you, there's the client, and there's God. Everybody has their own part. The only thing we can control is what we do. And I think that really helped me, even 24 years in the mortgage yeah. industry, uh, to getting into coaching is, don't worry about it. Just go do the thing you do best and let yeah. the the client decide whether we're worth coaching or not. And God does the rest. And yep. that's the part that I, I like a lot. It removes a lot of pressure, yeah. by the way, because as salespeople, we carry a lot of pressure to perform, but we don't need to perform. We just need to provide advice, impact, love, you know, that we actually care. And I think that's what I get from you is you're six years into this company, but you actually have a longer history with them. I didn't know that. And I think yeah. you have a real passion and you impact me. So that was really was cool. Thank you for that. And I got to give credit where credit's due. That's actually from my mentor is Dana Potoff, Ron Alford. But yeah, my business, your business or the client's business, and then there's God's business. And so just praying every day that I uh, have the the words to, you know, that God gives me the right words to impact the people that that need and want to be impacted and that they have the uh, the ears to to hear my message and hear my heart. Yeah. And then uh, trying to remove the pressure, especially like you said, in sales. And, you know, there is a lot of pressure out there on social media. There's a lot of pressure out there. But yeah. Trying to stay focused, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Ooh, keep the main thing, the main thing. Well, hey, we have to wrap up here. I mean, I know we could probably do this literally for eight hours. This is fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. Great time. I hope that your story impacts somebody. Uh, it only needs to be one person. But I believe, I really believe, and I'll be praying too, that your story impacts somebody. And I uh, really enjoyed having you be on here. I know for a fact we'll be having you on here again in the future as we work together. I'm really excited about that, what that journey looks like. I know um, Southwestern Consulting is based out of Nashville. That is a true story, right? Yeah. When Nashville was the Southwestern part of the United States. Yeah, yeah. 
So 170 years ago, there wasn't there wasn't much of this uh, left coast where you're sitting. Yeah. Well, I mean, the coast is there, but right. but not as official. Yeah. So yeah, we've got some deep roots. Nashville's a cool place to go. We're, we'll see you guys live in uh, January. So I'm excited yes, for sir. that. So. Well, hey, we're going to wrap up. Uh, Marjorie, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. We thank The Rec for allowing us to be here and hosting this every week. Uh, the Rec, I don't know if you know this, is a great, it's a bowling alley, but it's really, it's a ministry. They they run probably 500, I don't know, I don't know the number. I, I, I'll be lying if I told you. Like, it seems like three to 500 people come through here um, a day and they have business groups here all the time. So if you haven't tried out the rec before, come visit the rec, go bowling and get to know what the rec stands for. So, uh, that's a shout out to them. Anyway, we hope that you'll listen to this podcast and share it with somebody that's going, it's going to impact. We, we desperately want to get the testimonies of these people, specifically Marjorie's on this one here out to you, the people, and then we'll see you guys next week. So thanks so much. Peace out. Thanks for having me, buddy. Have an awesome day. Yeah, thank you, Marjorie.